Today is the fourth of the five-part series of our study on the book of Job. What I'm going to do today is to read the entire passage first and then share with you the introduction. And then we pray to seek God's empowerment and enablement. And then we dive further into the message. So let me read from verse 28 of Joel chapter 2. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Immediately before verse 28, we see that as Israel would return to God, they would experience God's blessings, restoration and redemption. And we see that God assured them of His presence with them. We can see God's heart for His people. But in verse 28, there is a significant shift. It is no longer just about Israel. We see God's heart for all people, including the Gentile nations. It culminates in verse 32 where we read, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, called to represent God to the world around them, called to be a place where people can come to know God. And this is the same mandate for the church as well. The gist of today's message is to know God's heart and then see what faith community church could look like as we seek to represent God to our world. Let's pray together. God, today we pray that as we read your word, you will help us to know your heart. We are mindful that we are called to represent you, to reveal you to our world. And that is a privilege, that is a joy. Today, let your word instruct and inspire us so that we can be your vehicle that will carry your presence and your love to our world so that our world will come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29, we read that, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Verse 28 to 29 is a vision of how the gospel will reach all people and how God's Spirit will be poured out on all without distinction of nationality, 
ethnicity, gender, age, or social economic status. It gives us a picture of how the global church will look like. And this morning, we are going to explore how faith community church could look like. But I'm going to focus just on two dimensions, being multicultural and being multi-generational. One, being multicultural. It has been observed that for many religions of the world, their adherents live mainly in a certain geographical continent. Therefore, they are more homogeneous in their language and culture. But for Christians, 25% live in Europe. 25% live in Central and South America. 22% live in Africa. 15% live in Asia. 12 to 15% live in North America. Christianity is the only major religion that has spread out. Richard Bockham wrote this, Whatever defines Christianity as a historical world phenomenon, cultural homogeneity is not likely to be such a feature. Almost certainly, Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion, and that must say something about it. I think that says something about the heart of God. Being multicultural is about reflecting God's heart for all people. To be a multicultural church, there are three perspectives that have helped me uh, as I keep them in mind. The first is a contrast between building the Tower of Babel and building the church. In building the Tower of Babel, we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. But when referring to the church, 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The Tower of Babel represents self-centeredness of men. Now that does not relate to multiculturalism that we are talking about today. I want to look at the brick they use. The bricks were made by themselves, the people, made to be uniform. Because with uniformity of bricks, they can build the tower faster. But when it comes to the church, we are described as living stones, not bricks. Stones are all different. They are natural, original, designed, created by God. With stones is diversity and not uniformity. And I think comparing building with bricks versus building with stones, certainly using bricks will definitely be faster and easier for any man. But when it comes to building FCC as a multicultural church, I think it can only be built by God. This can only be done by the hands of God and not by human hands. We cannot over-engineer things to try to make it happen. God must bring the people, raise the leaders, shape the right posture in our hearts, create the appropriate structures. 
and everything that is related to make us multicultural, we must trust God's hands to build. And then there will be diversity. Diversity that we celebrate and embrace. And the building will take time. We don't have to rush, but we can be intentional. So in the coming weeks and months, take time to fellowship with each other, share laughter, share burden, pray for each other, and let the Holy Spirit bind us together. And on this note, I really want to thank you for all the connect groups who have done so well with people from different countries and cultures fellowshipping together, interacting on the Word, enjoying each other's company in the Lord. Something is being built and there is definitely something to build on. The second perspective is from Acts chapter 6. There was a situation where the Hellenistic Jews were complaining against the Hebrew Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were Jews who adopted the Greek culture and spoke the Greek language. So what the apostles did was to appoint seven leaders. And these seven leaders managed the situation really well. And then we read the Bible says that the word of God continued to spread and the disciples continued to multiply. Conflict resolution is not my point here. What I think is that we need to have the right leaders and structures to shepherd people from different cultures. One structure that comes immediately to mind is our connect groups. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to clarify that to be a multicultural church does not mean that every connect group must work to become multicultural. I think what will happen is this. Some will be very multicultural, some just a little bit, and others more homogeneous. Our heart is to have a structure that can shepherd and disciple everyone meaningfully. The third perspective is from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is John's vision of heaven when he saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. When I read this verse, I immediately think about evangelism, think about reaching out. And I think you are feeling the same too. I think about our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, our schoolmates. And whether FCC can be a place that we can bring them to encounter God and experience family. And I know this is our prayer and desire. I don't think we can be everything to everyone. But for everyone who comes, we pray that they will find FCC a place where they can know God and find, find their belonging as a family. Now next, uh, we talk about being multi-generational. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it does say that your sons and daughters will prophesy. We know that Joel's prophecy about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to let us know that God will do it without distinction of gender and age. But when I was reading this statement, your sons and daughters 
were prophesied. I felt a prompt in my heart that says, this is not about that on-fire youth you see in youth ministry when you pick up your children on a Friday night. It is about your children that you pick up on a Friday night. It is about your Henry. It is about your Esther. It is about your Matthew. It is about your own children who will be a prophetic voice for God. Now, if this is so, then I got to ask myself, what do I do as a parent? And this, this leads me to think about discipleship at home. Being multi-generational begins with discipleship at home and we recognize that parents are the primary disciples. I myself need constant reminder that I am my children's primary disciple. There was one weekend when I was supposed to preach on parenting and to avoid having Saturday night, Saturday night fever, I wanted to f- prepare on a Saturday morning. So I know it's not very helpful. <laughs> but as I was preparing at certain points in the morning, I felt a prompting in my heart. And I think it's the voice of God because I would never think of such thing to say to myself. And the voice said to me, Son, I want you to stop preparing the message and start practicing the message. Go take your daughters out and spend time with them. And I really need all the support and encouragement and even reminders from people around me. Our kids church and youth ministry leaders know that. And one of their chief goals is to partner and work with parents on their journey of discipling their children. It is our desire to see every family in this church experience what Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joel 2, 28 also says, Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. When I think of old men dreaming dreams, I think of Abraham, the father of faith who had Isaac when he was 100 years old. We most often associate birthing new things with young people. We say because they are more energetic, they are more courageous, they will go and do stuff and achieve them and then only to look back and realize that it was supposed to be impossible. So they go and they can birth and pioneer new things. But when Sarah gave birth, she was already 99 years old. Abraham was 100. Dreaming dreams is not about sleeping. And sometimes we joke about it when we say old men will dream dreams. Actually, if the joke leads us to lose sight of the significance of that verse, then the joke is not funny. 
Because dreaming dreams is about God speaking something to you. Maybe it's God telling you to pioneer something, do something that you have never done before. Is God speaking to some of you right now? If so, then step out in faith because the Holy Spirit has been poured onto you and age is not a hindrance. Age is no object. And when you obey Him by faith, God will empower and direct you. And then we talk about young men seeing visions. Visions in the Old Testament is often associated with prophets or seers. When I think about young prophets, I think of Jeremiah. When God called him, he doubted his own ability and he kept saying to God, I'm too young. But God said to him, do not say I'm too young. Is this what God is speaking to some of you right now? God has been prompting you to do something. But your response is, I'm too young. Maybe today, you need also to decide to step out in faith too. If you feel uncertain, talk to a leader, talk to a friend. Pray together, but be strong and courageous to trust God. Being multi-generational is about reflecting God's heart for all generations, from the youngest to the oldest. It begins with discipleship at home. And in church, we believe in the old, we invest in the young so that we can all together touch our world for Christ. Let me land the two points on being multicultural and multi-generational by sharing with you a thought on unity. I read a very interesting interaction between Lucy and Linus in a Pinas cartoon. Lucy walked into the TV lounge and demanded that Linus uh, to change TV channels. And, Li and Linus said, what makes you think you can just walk in and take over? Lucy then replied, these five fingers, individually they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus then said, which channel do you want? And then turning away, Linus looks at his own fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? I'm sure you agree with me that being multicultural and multi-generational is not about we being in the same church, but isolated in different corners. It is about joining our hearts and hands together for the Lord, for each other. And one of the spaces we do that is our weekend services. Someone said, the most sacred hour must be the least segregated. Although he was addressing racial discrimination in his era, I think it applies to generational division as well. Our Sunday services is not just an adult service. It is a space for all generations to encounter God, worship, and serve Him together. And it is a space that we must intentionally guard. Before we move to the next point, it is important for us to remind ourselves that being multicultural and multi-generational is not about having people coming 
look at what's happening and say how great a multicultural and multi-generational the church is. It is, it is really about people from different cultures, people of different ages coming here and experiencing and seeing how great the love of God is for them. It is all about God, not about us. Next, I'm going to talk about judgment. I think it is just so important to talk about the church being a place where our world can find God's love and redemption before we go on to talk about judgment. But judgment, we must tell. At the point is, mercy triumphs over judgment. In verse 30, I read, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is Judgment Day, when every one of us has to face God. For me, the reason I talk about judgment is not because I believe that I can somehow scare you to believe in Jesus. I mean, what am I going to say? Like, uh, judgment is eternal regrets, like you will gnash your teeth forever and ever and the agony of regret will stay with you or eternal darkness is like you can't open your eyelids although you can wake up but your eyelid will remain closed for eternity I mean after I say all this to you I don't think any one of you will be scared enough to believe in Jesus the reason I talk about judgment is because I believe that we need to understand the severity of sin and the price that Jesus paid so that mercy triumphs over judgment. So that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. If there is no judgment, mercy has no value. In other words, there's no need for mercy. The price of sin is not three demerit points and $150. Jesus didn't die to pay the price. Anyone can go online to pay the price. The penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. And the price that Jesus paid for our redemption is heavy. Sometimes, I think I will never be able to fully comprehend the price that he paid. What I'm going to share with you next is my own personal devotional reflection. I'm not making that a theological or doctrinal position, so I can be wrong. And if you disagree with me, we can still say hello to each other in heaven. I'm still thinking about what I'm going to say. After Jesus resurrected, one of his disciples, Thomas, could not and did not believe the resurrection. 
So he said in John chapter 20, 25, Unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then a week later, this happened. John chapter 20, 26 to 27. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. With this verse, you sometimes hear people say that Jesus in his resurrected body could like walk through solid walls or doors or he could just appear. And therefore, how amazing our glorified body might be. We know that Jesus was in his resurrected body. Yet, Thomas could touch his wounds. The thing I'm still thinking about today, the question I still have in my mind is, whether while we rejoice in a body that is glorified without spot, without faults, you can eat all the pavlovas, all the fried noodles, all the durians you want, your body will still be fit and flawless. Whether while we are enjoying this glorified, resurrected body, somehow, Jesus, God himself, still carry the wound on him for eternity and his scars will never fade away. I can't tell the answer for sure, but all I know is that he paid a price more than I can ever imagine. And that's why we can say his mercy will triumph over judgment and everyone who call on his name shall be saved and not judged to be condemned. When I think of Christ's love for me, I find myself surrendering more to him. And not because I'm sacrificial, not because I am faithful, not even because I think I love him so much that I can do it. But I'm simply captivated by his love for me. By the fact that God could pay such a high price for me. And for those of you who are watching right now, if you do not know God or you have gone far away from God, this morning, for whatever reason, you are tuning in and God is speaking to you and God is drawing you to Him. Can I encourage you right now, where you are seated, where you are watching, say a prayer to God. Say, God, I come to you this morning. I come to receive your love. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned. But I also know, I also recognize that Jesus has died for me. And I want that forgiveness. And come, let your mercy and your grace wash over me. Commit your life to God. If God is speaking to you, 
Today is the day to do that. I will end with this last point. We are a missional church because we have a missional God. I'll link the last verses of last week's message and today's message together. Okay, and you'll see. In verse 27, it says, Then you will know that I'm in Israel, that I'm the Lord your God, and that there is no other. And then in verse 32, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and that's where God is, in verse 27, when he said, I'm in Israel. On Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. You see, God's presence with us as His people is so that our world can come to encounter Christ through us. And I pray that Faith Community Church will be a place where people from different cultures and from the youngest to the oldest, every man, woman and child can come to know God. And in this place and through this place, may we see people saved, churches revived, and nations transformed for His glory. I'm going to end this message with a word of prayer. And wherever you are seated, can I ask you to just open your heart and receive the Holy Spirit. Say, God, come and just pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. There may be friends you want to reach. There may be a dream that God has given to you. There may be a vision that you had from God. We all, you and I, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we sense God is telling us to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you. You said in your word. You promised that you will pour out your spirit on all flesh. And God, we receive from you the outpouring. We receive from you the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Individually, God, for what you have called us to do, we receive your empowerment to fulfill that you have spoken to us. And as a church corporately, we also come together and we say, God, pour out your spirit upon this church. Make this church a place of prayer for all nations. Where nations, where people of all cultures can come, not just in Perth, but even online, even in the places that you will send us to go. God, let the nations come. Let people come from the youngest to the oldest, every child, man and woman, let them come to know you. God, use us as your vehicle to represent you to be the carrier of your love and your presence to a world, especially to a world that do not know you. So we pray, God, come and use us. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you always. In Jesus' name, may all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the Sunday and have a good week ahead.